I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me. That's how Paul begins our scripture for today. And that's where I've been living in recent days in deep gratitude for all that God has given me. On Monday, we drove to my hometown, Tyrone, Pennsylvania, to bury my mom. We found the small section that is reserved for the Methodist home for the aged. Approached my parents' headstone. Someone told me this week they call it a visiting stone, not a headstone. I love that. So we walked up to the visiting stone. The hole for my mother's cremains was covered by this sign. Hunting license. Only in rural Pennsylvania or maybe South Georgia would you find that. We thought it might be just for our family that day. We hadn't lived there for over 20 years. Then two women who'd worked with my mom at the Methodist Homes for the Aged arrived. And after that, a longtime family friend showed up with her son in tow after a three-hour drive from Maryland. Her name? Hope. I'm grateful that hope shows up when we need it most and that people show love by just showing up. And sometimes that's all you can do. You just show up. I've seen y'all do that time and time again for people in this church and this community. We were preparing to go to the airport after church on, right after church on Sunday when one of our members showed up at our door with a Pittsburgh Pirate City Connect hat. He wanted me to have it for the trip. I wore it almost the whole time I was gone. Even on our tour of the Roberto Clemente Museum, my family said I was easy to find. Last Thursday, a close friend of mine texted to see if we had tickets for Monday night's game. I told him we didn't. He said, well, then I have four tickets for you behind the Braves dugout. He said, I brought them back in March thinking we might fly up there for the series. I couldn't believe it and I thanked him profusely. The next morning though, after sleeping on it, I was not really believing his story about buying them back in March. Why hadn't he sold them if he couldn't go? I was pretty sure he bought them when he saw we were headed up for the burial. So I called the next morning and said, I'm so grateful, but I'm guessing you didn't buy those tickets in March. You bought them last night to be kind to me and my family on a tough day, and, and I'm so grateful. He confessed he had not bought them in March. I told him he was a loving and generous friend. He said, I didn't buy them in March, I bought them in January. Then he forwarded the, me the receipt as proof along with two words, only God, only God. Paul wants us to be sure we know only God provides in such ways. And I guess I should stop being amazed, but I can't. And only on the day of my mom's burial would the pirates be able to beat the Braves as MVP Acuna goes 0 for 5 and Cy Young Strider gets knocked out in the third. I had great joy like the photo of Roberto Clemente Friends, I'm deeply grateful for your care these last two months. So today I have some intentionally intrusive questions for you to show my care for each of you. John Wesley, the somewhat accidental founder of the Methodist movement, asked 22 intentional questions for accountability to the early Methodists. Here are a few of his timeless questions for today. Number one, am I a slave to dress, friends, work, or habits? Has anyone done difficult back-to-school shopping recently? Am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? Just try to answer that one without self-justifying. Did the Bible live in me today? What a wonderful question for us to reflect on almost 300 years later. Do I pray about the money I spend? 
How would that change your spending this week if you prayed before getting out a bill or a credit card? And finally, do I go to bed on time and get up on time? You can thank Wesley when you go to bed early tonight. I can get you all 22 questions if you want them. Paul in his letter to the Romans was calling his people to accountability, reminding us that we live in pure grace so that we should not misinterpret ourselves, but to see what God is doing in and through us. As we hear the good news from Romans, the 12th chapter, just one verse, verse three from the message. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what God does for us, not by what we are and what we do for God. This is the good news according to Romans. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, Help us to humbly offer what you have given to us back to you. In your name we pray. Amen. In 1985, the great baseball pitcher Tom Seaver was on the verge of winning his 300th game. Only 24 pitchers have ever done that. And during the game, on his way to winning 300, he went over to the box seats where his nine-year-old daughter was sitting and he told her excitedly, only three more outs to go. And she responded, good, that we could go home and go swimming. Our kids have a way of keeping us humble, don't they? Paul talks a lot about humility in this chapter, but we will cover humility on Labor Day weekend. Part of learning humility, though, is admitting that God is the source of all we have and all we are. Let us not misinterpret ourselves as self-made women and men, but as God-made and God-molded people. Especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Wesley asked his clergy, why are the people under your care no better? Yikes. That question has always challenged me. Are the people better because of the leadership of our clergy and staff team here at Dunwoody? How are we doing, folks? Well, Mr. Wesley, I'm speaking from deep gratitude, and I'd like to share the testimony of some of our people who make us all better. My first piece of evidence is a woman in our congregation named Joyce, a visually impaired member of our congregation. Although she has vision issues, that does not stop her from really seeing what God is doing Joyce sings in our women's choir, making the extra effort to memorize the music. She and her husband, Bob, traveled with us to the Holy Land earlier this year, and she never missed a beat, even with the really challenging places to walk. She walked the Stations of the Cross in Jerusalem, and then she walked down the Mount of Beatitudes in the dark. When Joyce and Bob came back from Israel, they had two small olive wood crosses from the trip. Joyce asked Bob if they could share one of the crosses between them and give the other away. And Bob said, of course. Joyce then carried the other cross with her, feeling like the Lord wanted her to share it with someone, but she just wasn't sure who. Joyce and Bob have a favorite Mexican restaurant. I'm sure you have your own favorite Mexican restaurant around here. And at this particular restaurant, she talked to a waitress, a young single woman, who she said at, at times seemed troubled. 
Joyce mentioned her faith to the waitress and how it had sustained her over the years through times of difficulty and loss. And one day they were there in that Mexican restaurant and she asked the young woman if she was a Christian, to which the young woman responded positively, but she said she worked Tuesday through Sunday and had little time to be involved in her faith. Joyce then felt the nudge that she should give her her olive wood cross. She told the waitress that they were going to Israel before they had left. And when Joyce gave her the cross and told her it was directly from the Holy Land, Bob told Joyce that the waitress's face just lit up. The waitress treated it as if she'd been given something priceless. Now, every time they go in, she tells Joyce how much she values it and leaves it on her counter to look at every day. She says the cross reminds her to pray each time she sees it. And she recently told Joyce that she'd started talking to her family about how God had blessed her in her life. I'm amazed by Joyce, who would be considered legally blind, but is truly able to see. She recognized what Paul is addressing in our scripture today. Joyce told me, I gather that this young woman had not had an easy journey through life, but she's now sharing with others how God is working in and through her. That's how one small olive wood cross is spreading God's love and good news to others, according to Joyce's testimony. So Mr. Wesley, I would tell you about Joyce, who knows this truth. Holding on to the cross of Christ makes it so much easier to not misinterpret ourselves. Paul knew that to be true. Holding on to the cross of Christ makes it so much easier not to misinterpret ourselves. As we walk through the Clemente Museum in Pittsburgh in a former fire station that responded to its last call on December 31st, 1972. I saw a picture of Clemente I'd never seen before. If I had, I didn't notice its significance. Can you see the angel wings on this man, the first Latino in the Hall of Fame? A man remembered for his legacy of giving as much as his athleticism. Sitting at 2,999 hits heading into the final weekend of the regular season in 1972, the Pirates had already clinched the National League East. Manager Bill Verdon debated the merits of resting Clemente versus having him continue an all-out pursuit of 3,000 hits. Clemente, of course, wanted to play, so he played at Three Rivers Stadium that Friday evening facing New York Mets ace Tom Seaver. He tapped a bouncing ball up the middle and second baseman Ken Boswell tried to field the grounder, but the ball caromed off his glove into the outfield. The message on the scoreboard at Three Rivers Stadium almost immediately flashed hit number 3000. The crowd of over 24,000 fans erupted loudly. Moments later, the scoreboard flashed another message. E. Error. It was not ruled a hit at all. The fans booed the decision. The official scorer, Luke Quay, a writer and editor for the McKeesport Daily News, had apparently ruled the play an error from the outset, but the scoreboard operator, also making an error, mistakenly thought that he'd heard someone in the press box yell, hit, so he put up a hit. This misunderstanding resulted in a premature celebration by the fans and by Clemente, who had already been presented with the ball by the first base umpire, John Kibler. After the game, Clemente initially expressed frustration with the scoring decision. A few moments later, he learned that it was Luke Quay who was the scorer that day. Of all the writers who covered the Pirates, Clemente liked Clay, Quay the best and trusted him. In fact, they were friends. So when Clemente learned it was Quay who ruled the error, error, he softened his tone. 
He was not going to allow a scoring decision to affect his friendship, even if it was for his 3,000th hit. Clemente took the ball and signed it for Quay while having a humorous message for his good friend. It was a hit. No, it was an error. No, it was Luke Quay Superman. And then he signed it to my friend Luke with best wishes, Roberto Clemente. Restored to his good spirits, Clemente would get his 3,000th hit the next day, lacing a double toward the left center field gap off John Matlack. No one would have any idea at the time it would be his very last regular season hit. As you might remember, later that year, on December 31st, 1972, he was killed in a plane crash trying to bring relief aid to earthquake victims in Nicaragua. There was a young ball player named Tom Walker who was playing winter ball for Clemente in Puerto Rico that year, and he begged Clemente to let him go to Nicaragua, but Roberto told him to stay home. Stay home and enjoy New Year's Eve in San Juan. Years later, Tom's son, Neil Walker, would play second base for the Pirates. He was born 13 years after Clemente's death, but every time he took the field, he would look to Clemente's position out there in right field, and he would tip his hat in thanksgiving for his life and for his father's life. We all live in pure grace, and it's important that you do not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you so we might bring it to others. The only accurate way, Paul says, to understand ourselves is by what God does and by what he does for us, not by what we do, what we are, and what we do for him. I wish I understood it all, folks, but some days basking in God's goodness is enough. If Wesley were to ask me today, why are the people under your care no better? I'd also have to share the testimony of Billy Dunham. Billy had worked in sports journalism with the Macon Telegraph, but they were acquired. And you know that sometimes with acquisitions, there are promises of stability and then the realized cutbacks and layoffs occur. Despite six loyal years with the paper and winning awards, he was one of the many victims of layoffs. And here he was in his mid-20s with little financial safety net. Unemployment and severance only went so far, and soon he was faced with the harsh reality of not being able to pay his bills. He cobbled things together to make ends meet with odd jobs and officiating baseball games, but it wasn't enough to pay for everything. He got to the point where he had to make some tough choices about what to pay and what not to pay. Have you ever been there? Finally, an opportunity came, and he flew to Washington, D.C. to interview with a paper in Prince William County. They flew him to Reagan National. He interviewed, stayed overnight, and took a cab back to the airport. His flight wasn't going to leave till that evening, but checkout was 11 a.m. He tried to get an earlier flight, but couldn't afford the $50 change fee. So he settled in for a long day at the airport, mostly playing solitaire on his phone. While he was sitting there, a dreaded phone call came in. Mr. Dunham, if you don't make a payment by the end of the week, we are going to have to repossess your car. Billy told them, please do what you need to do, and he thanked them for the notice. He was out of work and didn't have the $250 to make the car payment, and there were still more three, three more hours to sit there for his flight. Billy said about an hour later, with a dead phone battery, he just sat there with an old magazine that he'd found lying around. He wasn't paying much attention to anything. It'd been a hard day when someone tapped him on the shoulder 
At that time, most people had printed boarding passes. You remember those? And paper sleeves to hold them in. And the gentleman handed Billy one and told him not to open it till he boarded his plane. The anonymous stranger walked through gate 38 at DCA and disappeared onto his plane headed to Pittsburgh of all places. When Billy opened the sleeve sitting there on the plane, there was enough cash in there to pay his car payment and a handwritten note that said this, I hope this money helps. I've been in your shoes before and know how difficult it can be. God bless you. Billy still gets tears when he thinks about it and he thanks God for that gift. Billy recalls it this way. He says, I'm sure there have been times when someone helped me. I grew up in a good family with a good church family and a good community. Helping people was always a thing, but I cannot remember a time a complete stranger ever blessed me like that. Once I finally got my wits about me from the shock, I vowed to help anyone whenever I could to pay it forward. Sometimes he's discreet about it, buying an older couple dinner anonymously. Other times he spots someone a few bucks at the gas tanks at Quick Trip. Billy said, sometimes all you need is a little boost to make it over a hurdle that you're facing. That timely money allowed me to keep my car and some of my dignity, he told me. Unfortunately, he didn't get Ultimately, he didn't get the job in D.C., but received a much better offer here at Delta in Hartsfield. And now years later, he's a product developer with a golf tour company, which even he admits sounds like a made up job, a job that he loves. He and his wife, Jenna, have seen the power of placing their trust and faith in God. He ends by saying, I'll continue to bless people wherever I can. So if John Wesley asked me, why are the people under your care no better? I would share stories like these of formation and transformation. And Wesley, Mr. Wesley, I believe, I truly believe that they're all working to be better. While we were gone, the power went out in the branches for some 24 hours. A neighbor called to tell me he was heading over to our house to clean out our fridge so we wouldn't come home to a mess. And then when we got home, another member of the choir had left dinner at our back door. So I'd have to tell you about them, Mr. Wesley, about so many of the people here. I love to hear your testimonies. I would have to tell Mr. Wesley about how God is working through you as 124 of our students were sent to Camp Glisten this summer with several counselors, or those who volunteer with youth or kids ministry or Stephen ministry, food stock or serving in Guatemala, or those who radically mentor others or just show up for people in need. Those who live out what Roberto Clemente once said, If you have a chance to accomplish something that will make things better for people coming behind you and you don't do it, you're wasting your time here on earth. Friends, Paul wants to remind us that holding on to the cross of Christ makes it so much easier not to misinterpret ourselves. And for that, I'm deeply grateful. Now, if Mr. Wesley asked me about you, what would you want me to tell him? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.